can I throw that thing out you just told me? <laughs> it's cool. It's cool standing here and, and watching BJ sing Waymaker because he was just telling us just before we started that it was a year ago today that he was reunited with his biological dad and family um, after many years of not even knowing if uh, he was alive. And so to see him stand up here and sing Waymaker, amazing, hey? God is good. Sorry, that was a lot to process what I just said. But um, how's everyone doing this morning? <clears throat> okay. So if you've been here the last few weeks or you've been tuning in online, um, man, I, I get too excited to have this kind of restriction. Let me just do this. It's not going to be a gradual <laughs> transition after. Um, but if you were here two weeks ago, uh, you heard Mike uh, preaching on uh, something along the lines of, without love, we have nothing. If, if I don't have love, I am nothing. I, I, I can do nothing. Um, I'm a basically a, a loud, annoying symbol, this type of thing, in nice ways. Uh, if you were here last week, you heard Katie um, speaking about, she said, I can't move on from the cross. Any, anyone here to hear that amazing job she did? Um, and she was talking about our freedom as Christ followers and, and the high price that Christ paid for us um, in what he did on the cross. But that freedom doesn't just leave us free, but that freedom sets us free to step into what is called serving others, right? And she was using a few passages um, to talk about that. And this morning, I want to kind of uh, continue on that vein because I want to marry the two. Because I really do believe that if what Mike is saying is true, which he was saying right out of the Bible, out of 1 Corinthians 13, that without love we can do nothing. And if what Katie is saying is that Christ has set us free into the life of serving others, then can I say that this morning I want to talk about the fact that love is the only fuel that we can run on as Christ followers when it comes to how we serve God and how we serve others. I don't know about you, but I feel very aware in myself that I have never had a permanent, deep change purely as a result of my will. Anyone else? It's much like a New Year's resolution experience, isn't it? I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to, usually it's the gym, right? For most people, it's the gym on, on uh, January 1st. But what happens is no one actually gets changed deeply by an act of the will. We're going to read out of Philippians 2 because at the end of the day, the only thing that can reforge us, the only thing that can change us at a root level is love. Philippians 2 says this, so then, in verse 12, so then, my dear ones, just as you have always obeyed my instruction with enthusiasm, not only in my presence, but not much more in my ab- how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, that is to cultivate it, to bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity with awe-inspired fear and trembling, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. For it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work, that is strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. We hear this all the time, but it's so true, is that the love of God is not achieved, it's received. But I also like to think about the fact that the love of God is not earned. 
Because if you're anything like me, or if you have a job, every day you go to work and you earn your living. And sometimes we live our Christian life like that. Is every day we wake up and we try somehow subconsciously to earn God's favor, His love, whatever it is, His blessing. And it's subconscious. And we can use all sorts of things, the way we uh, interact with other people, the way that we are integral in the things that we're doing. Because the reality is, is that, that the constant battle in humanity is that we like to perform and we like to perform well. But the Bible also tells us this, is that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And can I just say that the love of God, the Bible tells us that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by His Holy Spirit. But the reason it's been poured out into our hearts is not just for His good pleasure, but God's good pleasure is not just for us, but for humanity. And so when He pours His love into our hearts, it's so that it can be poured out of our hearts to others. And the reason Jesus can ask anything of us is because he gave everything for us. And we know this picture well. We've seen the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, right? We've heard this thing of, and and both of those seas are fed by the same river, which is the Jordan River. Now, the Dead Sea has no life. It's full of salt, uh, decay, death. People go there for detoxes and you lie in it. If you can't swim, you still float because it's that dead and full of salt. And the Sea of Galilee is full of life, full of different types of species of fish, surrounded by life, trees, uh, birds, all sorts of things. And the only difference between the two, because they're both fed by the Jordan River, the only difference is that the Sea of Galilee has an outspout. In other words, the Sea of Galilee doesn't just receive fresh water. The Sea of Galilee also releases fresh water. The reality is, is that for us as Christ followers, getting into the habit of serving others from a place of knowing that we are loved and accepted by God is tough work, especially when it comes to the first step. Who here has ever tried something new? It's it's a bit awkward, right? It's like your first day of school. Nobody wants to go to the first day of school, especially if you're in a new school, especially if you don't know anyone, whatever it is. But this first step of getting into the motion of serving others is always hard. But the amazing thing is that with the love of God, when God's love is poured into our hearts, it's not like this cup of water. Check this out. Maybe this is a bad analogy. But when I do this, when I pour out that cup of water, guess what? The level's gone down. You see, God's love doesn't work like our economy. Our economy, we in our culture, this is what happens. Any culture, you buy and you sell. You add and you subtract. But in God's economy, it works through giving and receiving. It it works through multiplication and exponential growth. See, when I give, that doesn't make sense. It costs me something. And yet with the love of God, what happens is this, is that when we pour ourselves out to others because we're full of the love of God, you know what actually happens? Our level doesn't go down, but actually the bottle size increases. Why? Because as we pour ourselves out, God designed it this way. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Why? When we give, we automatically receive. When we pour his love out to others, our capacity grows to receive his love more. Why? It's like the Sea of Galilee. 
What keeps the life coming in is not because of how amazing the fresh water is that's coming into it, but because that sea is releasing it again. It's the flow. God's economy is faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. Can I say that when we are faithful with the love that God has poured into our hearts, it always leads to fruitfulness towards others. Remember this amazing story, um, Ken and Michelle Grenfell, who have ministered here a whole bunch. Um, <clears throat> but they had ministered across the road when we were in the building still. And the service had finished, and, um, and you know we were packing up, and Bex, my wife, and I were standing together, and Ken came over, and it was the most beautiful thing. Is he came over, and, he, and I said, you know, I've known Ken for many years, but Ken had never met my wife. <clears throat> and he said, oh, is this your wife? And I said, yeah, this is my wife, Bex. And he said, hi, nice to meet you. And he, as he said that, Be- Ken is very prophetic, and, he, and he, he, was, he was just looking at her, and he just, it was like he just saw her. It was like in that moment, God just opened up, like spiritual eyes, spiritual father looking at his spiritual daughter, and he, say, he said, ah, oh, yeah. You are a beautiful woman. God is, you have a a beautiful heart. And it was, it's like when God reveals his love to us, sometimes it's with a megaphone and sometimes it's in a whisper. But it reminded me of the feeling when you experience God's love. Because the Bible tells us, like, like Paul says, like, you know, I, he's right, um, forget where it is, Philippians or, or somewhere in there, Ephesians. He says, I pray, he says, I pray that you know that the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of God's love, which far surpasses mere knowledge. Um, it's an experience. God's love is an experience. It's an encounter. It's not an intellectual understanding. It is, it is understood emotionally, physically, intellectually, the whole deal. It's all-encompassing, four-dimensional. But it reminded me of that feeling when you experience God's love. When I was a, a teenager, it was the first time I genuinely experienced God's love. And I was, I was more than likely performing at my highest level, waking up early, spending time with God, trying to you know, really get into, the, into healthy uh, habits and all those things. But you know, subconsciously, we as humans think that I deserve something from God because I'm doing this or I'm doing that. And I remember the feeling... When God just absolutely, it was like I was standing in my room and all of a sudden the presence of God came on me so strong, I just fell face down on my bed and I couldn't get up. It was like this heavy, safe pressure in a way. It was like warmth was all over me. I couldn't move. And, and it was like I felt instantly unworthy and yet so loved. Instantly undeserving and yet so accepted. And isn't it amazing that when you experience the love of God, it's like you have endless energy to serve others. It's like fuel, isn't it? And then life happens. Things go on. You know, we've, we've got, um, currently my wife is very pregnant 
and um, two centimeters dilated. And some of you who have kids roll your eyes, say no big deal. Others are like, oh, that sounds serious. <laughs> the reality is we're close to having another child, increasing our family from four to five. And things happen, right? And you need to, and you need to um, find your, your new normal in what you're doing. And it can be overwhelming and it's exciting and a new baby and all these things. But the amazing thing is you grow into these things just like anything. And God's love grows into our lives just like anything. It's like the capacity to love grows as we grow. And the temptation is to think, oh, like, and, and I've had this conversation with my wife. It's like, babe, we just really, um, you know, like, we'll, we're going to find our sweet spot in this. And we're going to, you know, if, if we just prioritize making sure that we'll take time for ourselves here and there, catch a breath of air and all these things. The reality is life is going to happen and it's going to get busy and all these things. But you know what happens is that God's love doesn't work this way. If I prioritize myself, if I, if I say, okay, I'm going to just be selfish for these key moments, and, and because I'm being selfish in these key moments, it's going to create this supernatural selflessness in me to serve others. I'm going to have more of myself to give. That's not how it works. In God's economy, what we give ourselves to is what grows and bears fruit. If I prioritize selfishness, it doesn't give me more of me to be selfless. That's the lie that our culture tells us. But actually, when I prioritize being selfless, I find in me a strength to be more and more selfless when it's fueled by the love of God. When we plant seeds of love, we reap a harvest of love. C.S. Lewis says this, the more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Our real selves are all waiting for us in him. God's love is the only fuel that can sustain us in God's will. Romans 15 says this, oh, may the God of hope fill you up with joy fill you up with peace so that your believing lives filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit will brim over with hope. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about hope, I I think about hope for tomorrow. Like so much of our our, um, culture is hoping for the big break, hoping for that thing, hoping for to find the the spouse, hoping to find that job, to, to find the breakthrough, to do you know what I'm saying? We're hoping for tomorrow. And yet what, what, what Romans 5 tells us is that, is that we don't have hope because we're finding security in a potential outcome. It says this, hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The integrity of our love as Christ followers is hinging on our willingness to be found in the presence of Jesus. You know, Paul writes this amazing letter to um, the church in Corinth. Uh, we all know it well. And in this letter, there's this classic love package, uh, pa- passage uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And we all know it, right? If I don't have love, I am nothing. If I, if I hit the symbol, if I don't do this without love, it's like a big symbol by your ear. It's loud. It's annoying. It's all these things. And... and But just before 
he starts into this right at the end, the last part of chapter 12. He says this, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And he's just described these amazing gifts, prophecy, words of wisdom, interpretation of tongues, like these incredible God gifts, gifts that if you encounter those things in your time of need, they will change your life. They will literally change your life. They can change your destiny. Anyone here who's ever had someone give you a prophetic word, a word from God when you needed it most, it changed your life. If you were without hope, you had hope. If you wanted to just give up, you just managed to stick your feet in and stand firm in in your faith. But the word that he has here when he says the most excellent way is this word hodos. And it's, it's a far exceeding journey or a highway. It's the highway of God. And the message says this at the end of of 1 Corinthians 13. He says, so no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. This this love is a journey. You know, sometimes we can think about it as a destination. Oh, God, like when I experience your love, like, you know, you pour it into my heart and I'm going to pour it out. And that means that I'm going to do these things. I'm going to achieve more things and I'm going to raise the dead. You know what I'm saying? We can think about it that way. But how about the love of God simply in the moments every day? The ability to engage with your spouse, your kids, your friends emotionally, to be present in the moment, to have something to give amidst trouble and turmoil. You know, I, may, I remember this amazing story. I watched the video of it, and this was a friend of mine. Her name was Lorene. <clears throat> a number of years ago, she was at a conference, and um, we, you know, in the video, you can see one of these flashy God gifts in action, and it's incredible. But what happens is, Lorene's in this conference, and she's, like, Lorene is a unique name, right? It's, it's not like Karen or Michael or um, Wes. Wes is unique, right? Okay. <laughs> but it's a unique name. And, and Lorena is standing in this conference. And she's basically, you know, a few hundred people in a room. And she's like, God, I, I honestly just want to give up. I don't want to do this thing anymore. I can't do this. I don't want to. I can't. I'm done. I don't want to be involved with the church. I don't want to do this. All these types of feelings. And someone who is at their end. And there's a man doing his thing, ministry thing on a stage. And all of a sudden, he just turns and he says, L-O-U-R-I-N-E. Who is that? Who is that? And I just imagine everyone standing there at this prophetic conference thinking, I want that. I want that. I want that gift. And God is sitting there saying, I want her. See, when the love of God changes us, it changes everything. Serving people no longer becomes a, a means to an end. Serving God does, no longer becomes a means to an end. It simply becomes a response to a good, good father. Paul wrote in, in 2 Corinthians, he says this, Christ's love compels me. How often do we feel reluctant to serve others. Come on. Anyone married? 
It happens. Anyone have kids? It happens. But Paul says, Christ's love compels me. And we, and we heard the story of, of Paul this morning, and, and he was put in prison, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was done all these things. And yet he somehow still had this love and passion to see the church of Jesus Christ thrive and grow. And that word compels is the word seneco. It's like when a ship is forced into a narrow strait of water. Because when the love of God takes hold of us, we don't just feel obligated or like it's the right thing to do. It's like we look for creative ways that we can serve others. And I just wanted to encourage us this morning that God is calling us into that place of serving others. He's calling us into that place where we feel like we are brimming over, like Paul writes, brimming over with love for others, brimming over. The Bible tells us that we should be creative in our hospitality. And I just had a sense that God wanted to remind us that he is calling his church into the place of service, not people who are obligated, but people who can't resist serving others. Does that make sense? And it's a simple message. Can I invite you up, Mikey? It's, I hope it wasn't too short. But, um, but isn't it amazing how much energy we have when, when the love of God is flowing through us? And isn't it amazing how little energy we have when it's not flowing through us? 